<laughs> I have a very different life. I sleep eight hours every night. I nap yeah. every day. And so, and it's night and day. And I've gone from being very controlling, very overbearing, very perfectionistic to less of all of those things. But, you know, mm. I'm still work in progress. My marriage has transformed. But what I will say about all of it is that every iteration of work that I do, there are more challenges. Feel very difficult for a while as I work through them and then they feel much easier. And so the honest truth of how it's felt is some days it's amazing and it's miraculous and I love it and I'm so grateful for everything that I've done. And mm-hmm. other days it feels really hard. Yeah. You know, it is it is draining and exhausting sometimes to do this work. But mm. is it more draining and exhausting than having been a tax lawyer? No. And I am now doing something that feels like me rather than the me that I thought I needed to be to fit in a box to keep my parents happy or to yeah. keep society happy or to matter, to have some kind of value. Welcome to Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast with Stephanie Lee. On this show, we're going to talk about the experiences of high-achieving women and men across industries and lifestyles who are at about the midpoint in their career and are no longer satisfied to let life happen to them. Together, we're going to purposely create the second half of our lives by addressing burnout and overwork, by getting clarity on how we're creating the experiences of our lives, including how we're keeping ourselves stuck, by articulating what it is we want for the second half of our lives and identifying a plan to achieve it. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. I'm Stephanie. I'm so excited about today's show. Since I launched the show in July of last year, I've been looking forward to the opportunity to incorporate conversations with experts and friends and people that I know that will bring something of value to you, my listener. So today is our first such conversation. The guest I'll have with me on the show today is Louise Lewis. Louise is an International Coaching Federation accredited coach at the professional certified coach level. She holds a diploma in coaching practice, and she's also certified in embodied healing systems, which is nervous system and body-based modalities. In her practice, she focuses on childhood trauma and the impact of dysfunctional family systems on our lives as adults. Louise believes that the impact of trauma, childhood, generational, sort of big T trauma, little T trauma, as you may have heard it called, is present in all of us. And that being able to work with and process that is a key component to creating a life that feels the way that you want it to. It feels fundamental to creating the second half of our lives that we want, right? Louise's own story. So she worked as a tax litigation solicitor in one of the big four accounting firms until fall of 2018. And she says she pushed herself to a place of burnout and it wasn't pretty. She promised herself at that time that she was going to work through everything so that she never felt that bad again. Louise didn't anticipate all that that would involve and none of us ever do, right? But she's grateful every day 
that she made the decision to look at the stuff that many of us just choose to leave in the box of too difficult, push to the side. And I'm so glad she did because it's given me the opportunity to learn from her. And let me tell you a little bit about how I have come to know Louise. So as I was becoming a certified coach in 2021, I was part of a, and still am part of a uh, marketing program for coaches. And Louise was in the Facebook group. And so she, um, you know, as you do, responded to posts of mine, or I would notice things that she said. And eventually I just started following her on Facebook. So this has been now um, about two years. And so I've sort of watched from afar as her coaching practice has evolved and how she has shifted and changed in what she wants to emphasize in her practice. Um, But I've always been drawn to Louise's work and to the way that she puts herself out into the world and, you know, have just simply kept her on my radar all of this time. And this year I've mentioned on several episodes, her work and the value that it has, has brought to me and how it has influenced my own work and the way that I think about burnout in particular. But Louise has offered several classes over the course of this year, an introduction to the body class, a specific burnout class, a class on how to take care of yourself. Um, At any time she offers one of these, um, you know, sort of short offerings, I'm all in. It's just exactly what I need in the moment. And again, it has helped me to round out my thinking. My own coach training was very much a mindset-based approach, which I love, which has brought tremendous value to me. But I can see now that I've gotten my toes wet in this world of coaching, there are some other aspects of things, some more body-based interventions that I'm interested in knowing more about and that I think can be impactful, not only for me, but for you and for the clients that I work with. So with all of that said, let's dive into my conversation with Louise. All right, Louise, I am delighted to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me on Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. I am absolutely delighted to be here, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. So I'm going to ask you first, if you would, to introduce yourself. I have told the listeners a little bit about you, but I would love for them to hear directly from you who you are. Sure. So I suppose at this point, I would still consider myself to be a life coach by profession. Um, I am over in the UK. So I live in a little village in the Cotswolds in England. And um, I've been doing this work for about four years now. Um, and I know we'll get into more about what that is, but essentially, I think the key thing for me is the catalyst for it all was burnout in 2018. Mm. And I have got a lot of patterns, but perfectionism is one of them. Like perfectionism mm. is one of them I've really worked on. And the perfectionist part of me when I hit burnout was like, I'm doing everything that needs to be done so that I never feel this bad again. And I'm really, it's been a kind of a four-year journey to to here. So the the coaching certification and the coaching stuff was always going to be what I did, but very much for the, like, I'm just going to help people in their careers. And then Mm. once we, it progressed and it changed. So I now help people who probably have done quite a lot of personal development work already and recognize that the patterns are still there, the behaviors are still there. They might have some ways to deal with and manage the stuff but it's like there's got to be more to it than this like I'm still yeah. not feeling the way I want to um and so I kind of help people dig into that deeper layer of what's really going on and to 
help them really resolve that stuff at the root. Awesome. Okay. So if, if you're going for it, Louise, what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk a little bit both about your journey out of yeah. sort of big four and law sure. and what that has been like. Cause a lot of my listeners are folks who are at or approaching midlife. You know, yeah. I, my audience is kind of like late Gen X, early millennials, and yeah. we are looking forward to something in the second half that's just fundamentally different. So I would love for them to hear your story about what that has looked like. And then I would love for them to hear as well a little bit more about how you work with your clients and what it looks like to address these deeper patterns that yeah. you do. So if that works for you, we'll we'll get in on that. Sounds amazing. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about what your life looked like before you left law. Yeah. So yes, I didn't say this in the introduction. I trained, left school, did a straight law degree um, and trained and became a tax lawyer by profession um, and I was a tax litigator so basically always a huge company so think like General Motors, Virgin Media, that kind of size company mm -hmm. fighting the UK tax authorities around the application of certain tax rules so it was all what you were always in conflict you're always fighting always sort of trying to get stuff so I was in this very high pressure high powered job and ostensibly, I was very good at it. And so I rose the ranks quickly. I was, you know, early 30s, running a team inside PwC, which is like a massive worldwide corporation. And in terms of what, what my life looked like, it looked very structured and very organized. I would wake up about 5 a.m. each day. I would take myself to the gym. I would do a decent hardcore gym workout and then I would go to the office and I would do, I didn't do crazy hours in the office, say like a 10 hour day. Mm -hmm. And then I would journey back home. The commute was about an hour and a half each way. So I would leave the house at five and would get home about 7.30 in the evening. Okay. So long days away from, from home. Um the day in the office was meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting so there was no white space in the day and then I would get home and I would crash mm. I would we would have dinner we would maybe watch half a tv program and then it would be eight o'clock half past eight so like really soon after I got in that I would go to bed I would struggle to go to sleep mm. I would wake up in the night sometimes for an hour, sometimes for two hours, normally around 3 a.m. I'm sure some of your listeners can relate to the 3 a.m. witching hour. And me too, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then it would start again the next day. And sometimes I would wait, before, like colleagues would get emails from me at 4.30 a.m. because I would just mm. get up. And that was my Monday to Friday. And mm -hmm. then we were spent trying to recover. Yeah, yeah. So before you got to a place of really realizing you were in burnout, did, uh, when you were living this way, did you feel like there was a problem or or did this just feel, what what was your awareness of what was going on for you? Um, I would say my awareness was was very low. I thought okay. that it was just normal. Mm -hmm. um, I'd always had trouble sleeping from being like sort of mm -hmm. age five, six, seven. I'd always been a bad sleeper. Um, my parents, particularly my dad, quite anxious. Not that it was spoken about that he was anxious, so it was just normal. Him being anxious and then me being anxious and me using control to manage things. It was just mm. normal. So 
I think I just thought that was how it was. Like it did, it did feel sometimes like people around me seemed to not find it quite so stressful, or they didn't invest themselves quite so much in it. But even that, I would look at them and be like, they don't care as much as I do. Mm. You know, they aren't really putting in the work. They don't care as much as I do. And so, no, I didn't think I had a problem at all. I thought all of my problems were somebody else. So like maybe the boss at work was difficult or like it was my husband's problem. I was fine and everything was normal. It was absolutely my default. Basically right up until the point where I was like, oh, I'm actually too ill to work now. I need to do something. Yeah. yeah. So, so what, what got you there? What got you to the place where you realized I'm too so, ill to work? So a few different things happened and it all kind of came together at the same time Mm -hmm. I had a very I thought very good relationship with the partner that ran the team so although I ran the team day to day I wasn't a partner there was a partner above me and we used to speak quite openly about how we felt about the team and how we felt about the work and he had said to me before going on a holiday that he really wasn't enjoying work at the moment he felt very very stressed Mm. and when he was away I didn't feel like I could didn't feel like I could or wanted to contact him. Mm -hmm. So when there were challenges and things that happened in the office, I consulted a different partner Mm -hmm. who the partner that led my team used to work for, but didn't like. Okay. Now I can't tell you that that was the thing, but if that wasn't the thing, it was definitely a thing that essentially went from me being this like hero can do no wrong to really falling off the pedestal Mm -hmm. and so in the office environment I think maybe around the same time I was starting to understand that I didn't know what boundaries were and was basically just doing everything for everyone all the time and it was too much so I was trying to put boundaries in place and had obviously then done this thing that hadn't landed very well and so I started having not a very nice time at work Mm. All the time that I was the golden girl on the pedestal, I had just been willing to keep pushing myself and keep pushing myself. Mm -hmm. So that started to change. And then there was a little bit of kind of psychological warfare at work with like another director who was saying like lots of lies, basically. Someone would say one thing, someone else would say something else. Who knows who was telling the truth? But I was in the middle trying to make sense of it all. And there was no way they were both telling the truth. So it was like really, really toxic work environment. And then at home, my husband was having challenges at his work as well. And he okay. also struggles with his mental health from time to time. So he was in mm-hmm. quite an anxious, stressed place as well. And I think it was almost just like too much all at the same time. And it just hit me over the edge. Mm-hmm. And so I started, it was like three or four times a week that I would be awake for two hours in the night, three hours in the night, or waking up at 3 a.m. not getting back to sleep. Mm-hmm. I developed this rash on my face and my neck. I started getting tingling in my hands and my feet. Like I had tests for multiple sclerosis. Mm, yeah. It was like, there's a lovely phrase of like, if you listen to your body when it whispers, you won't have to hear it scream. Like mm-hmm. mine was screaming and I was still carrying on. Yeah. Um, And I would wake up in the morning and just burst into tears. And it was, it was almost, it, I'd never got to the point where I couldn't function. I was so close I was like I just can't keep doing this I can't yeah. eat 
everything was too hard. Um, and that ended up taking some time off work. He had three months off. Your husband? Yes, sorry, my okay. husband. Mm-hmm. He ended up having three months off and I used all of my annual leave in one go. So in the UK, sorry to the US listeners, we get a lot more annual leave than you do. <laughs> <laughs> so I had about four weeks off, oh, wow. four and a half weeks yeah. off, all in one go. Um, and I think, and it was during that period that I realized I wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. Because still in my mind, I was like, I'm taking this time off so I can support Nat. And I was like, hang on a minute. I need some support. I'm not okay. Um, And that was hard because I was very used to being there, like, everything's perfect and I could just deal with it all and give give me your problem and I will solve it. Yeah. And so when you began to realize, I'm not okay, I need some support. Mm. What, what did, what did you think that looked like? Like, what did, what did you at that time think was the solution to your problem? So I think the first thing that is important to say is that I didn't want anybody to know. Mm. So I would see people. So, so I then went to the doctors and the doctor signed me off with stress. So I had mm-hmm. a period of time off work and actually I never went back, but I would see people who knew I'd had this extended holiday and they would ask me if I was still on holiday and I would say yes. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of shame. And so in terms of what I thought I needed, I think I probably just thought I needed a little bit of rest and a little bit of time off, um, but was still so deeply in denial of not really, mm-hmm. really being able to see or accept that maybe there was some some other stuff going on that I needed to look at and it was because I worked with such a big firm I don't know how they do it over there but we had um, access to an employee assistance scheme so I was given six sessions with a therapist yeah yeah and I went to see the psychotherapist and had one very clear goal I was like all I want is for you to help me to decide whether or not I go back to law And it really annoyed me because she kept wanting to talk about my family. I was like, no, 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 no. I just want to talk about, don't want to talk about my family. Just want to talk about, do I go back to law or not? But she made some very pointed comments that I don't think I did much with at the time about Mm -hmm. how unhealthy my family dynamics were and some of the things that I was saying. She was like, that's not healthy. That's not normal. That's not how it should be. Mm. So it, it kind of started sowing some seeds, but I do, I really don't think I was in a place where it was like, I need help, I can get support, someone can help me, because it was very much like, I can do this myself, I'm strong, it's all going to be fine, I'll just keep pushing, because that's what, that was what I knew. You yeah. keep pushing, you keep going, and it'll all sort itself out in the end if you work hard enough. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So much of what you're saying, certainly, Louise, I I can relate to, and I imagine a lot of my listeners can relate to as well, especially I want to go back a little bit to the idea of just feeling like the pace at which you were working was totally normal. This is what's expected of me as a professional woman showing up in this space. I just keep pushing. I just keep working harder and doing more. And somehow it all comes out in the wash. Mm. Yeah. And the fact that I was leaving the office at six or six thirty and other people were staying there till eight, nine, ten, eleven o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not working as hard as they are. Absolutely. So even like it was normal. It was mm-hmm. like I was doing less than normal. Mm. 
in my mind. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, it absolutely is. It absolutely is fascinating when 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 you take a look at these these stories that we tell ourselves. Okay, so when you were off work with burnout, realizing you wanted to make a change, where where did you go from there? So before the burnout got really, really bad, I'd had mm-hmm. this little bit of an epiphany where I realized that the only part of my job that I enjoyed was leading this team of people. So I think there were about 10 people in the team. Okay and was supporting them and helping with their struggles and their challenges. And before I was at PwC, I'd been at KPMG and I'd done a 12 months secondment out of law, which mm-hmm. again was very much around people development. So it in about so I was signed off in the October. In about the May, I thought I really just want to do something that's about helping people and using the skills that I've got to help people develop in their careers, which was what I was doing in yeah, my role. Yeah. Um and do it in a way to be as well as possible which again when I was then the one that was ill it was a, a lot of shame around that as well yeah yeah um, and so I'd had a conversation and my sister had said to me well what about coaching she had a coach through the business that she worked with mm. she was like you know you could you could be a coach I'd never heard of coaching but it was in that real desperation of like I can't do law anymore I need something else like I've got to get out and so I'd been onto this coaching website and this lovely lady had a conversation with me about being a coach because I was like can I just come and work for you I was like this is my experience and she was like no like you need a qualification you need to have done I think it was like a hundred coaching hours you need to have done all of these different things but I can have a conversation with you about it and so that was going on in parallel Mm -hmm. okay of maybe I'll become a coach and help people with their careers and then I can leave law. And so in true, I'm in denial that I'm not well style. I mm-hmm. was signed up work in the October and I started a year-long diploma in transformational coaching practice in the November. Mm. And Go so straight into that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because when you look at my notes from that, I'd written down about um, I could never do life coaching, like emotions are too difficult to deal with. <laughs> and it was just a complete mirror of where I was at. My yeah. emotions were too difficult to deal with. Um, so so there was kind of an idea of what I wanted to do, but it was a very naive idea. Like any coaches listening to this will mm-hmm. know. You have this lovely view of like, well, I do my qualification and then every client will refer another client and my business will grow really quickly and it'll all be fine. And that's what I'll do. And I don't know if I had just enough confidence in myself or was just naive enough to think that that was what was going to happen, that I just did the leap. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up being signed off work for six months and then I never went back. And how'd you make that decision? Yeah. How'd you make the decision not to go back? Honestly, I think I was at a point where I just realized I couldn't do that job and be well. Mm. That was the, that was the, um, that was the realization. And it was so confronting. So about four sessions into these six sessions with this psychotherapist, right. I got all confident and I was like, I'm ready. I've made the decision. I'm not going back. This is what I'm going to mm. do. And she basically staged an intervention. She said, you can't make this decision. 
you are not well enough to make this decision. You can make this decision only when you can go back and do this job and be well doing it. Because otherwise you're just running away from it. Wow. Yeah. And that and that actually was the moment that I came out of denial. Okay. I went home and I cried and I realized that I wasn't okay. Because even at this point, I was like, I only need to be signed off for work so that I can do the coaching qualification because it was a week in person. And if I'd been in the office, I would have been in Prague delivering a case law update. How my life has changed. <laughs> um, and and But that was that moment of like, oh, I'm not okay. It is me. It's not my husband's fault. It's not work's fault. I mean, everything added to it. But like there is some stuff fundamentally going on with me. Um, and I tell you the other thing as well that made a big difference. I grew up in a house where there was plenty of money, mm-hmm. but there was scarcity around money. Mm, okay. And so I had had it drummed into me that from day one of working, I was to put the most I could ever put in a pension mm-hmm. and I was to save as much as possible. Mm. So I had a lot of savings at this point. So there was that as well. Like I knew I had a couple of years of money, if not more, that I just had. It's amazing. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I've had to do a lot of work so I could actually spend money. Like these things work both ways. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but there was that as well. There was this comfort of I have this nest egg. And also my legal qualification wasn't going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was in demand. I could go and get another job if I wanted to. And I think that's also sometimes helpful for like people that are listening. For sure. To like go to, well, what is the worst case scenario? And what would you do with that? Because so often, if you go through all of the different stages, you just end up where you are right now. Yes. And it's like, well, but why not take the risk? Because any one of those different stages could take you somewhere better. Somewhere mm-hmm. that feels yeah. And that's something, you know, that certainly the clients that I've worked with and, and my own observations is we, we think, and you talked about this a little bit a moment ago, we think the problem is external. It's the work environment. It's the husband. It's something else. If these people would only change, if the expectations at work were more reasonable, you know, if everybody else had that understood work-life balance, you know, then I could, then I could have work-life balance. But we don't see the extent to which that is true. And yet we are also just fully bought into that in many ways and and doing it to ourselves as well. And that that's part of it. You know, for me, a lot of it was getting my identity from, as you talked about, being that golden child, being the one who could get things done, get things accomplished. People knew it was going to be done right. Gosh, that feels good. But it's also exhausting. Absolutely exhausting. And also so hard to look at it and see of like, oh, I've actually been part of this problem. You know, if mm-hmm. you go to a workplace and you have got really access to your healthy nose, so when someone says something to you, you haven't got capacity for it. You can just say, no, I haven't got capacity for that. Or yeah, I can do it, but I'm not going to do it for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And it just sends you into this complete panic of like, but if I don't say yes right now, what are they going to think of me? I'm going to end up 
jobless, homeless, on the street, under a bridge. All of those and, things, yes. Right? <laughs> and, um, and so many people don't have that. So yes, you're in an environment where pay, perhaps expectations are put on you that are unreasonable, but you keep saying yes to them. Mm-hmm. It's not like you keep saying yes to them because you're weak. You keep saying yes to them because something physiologically inside you mm. is stopping you from saying no. And that's and that's the, that's the hard thing to look at. Yeah, say a little bit more about that, Louise. So, coming full circle to what I now do, mm-hmm. I do a lot of work with people on the nervous system and nervous system regulation and unresolved trauma patterns. And generally, people don't love the phrase trauma, but when I say trauma, I just mean like chronic stress patterns, stuff that was just a little bit mm. too overwhelming for our bodies at a point in time that has had an impact on our physiology and a lot of us have got underlying breathe patterns which is which is the nervous system state that our body goes into when the thing coming at us is too overwhelming for us to deal with or we perceive it's too overwhelming Mm. right and freeze is very closely connected to fawn, which is basically just the professional technical term for people pleasing. Mm-hmm. And so often we have a survival pattern within our physiology that means that we cannot say no because our body goes into freeze and shuts down to protect us. Because at some point in time, we have learned or decided that if we say no to other people, if we disappoint other people, if we let other people down, it's actually threatening to our survival. Now, whether or not mm. we now know as adults that it isn't, that's still there. That's the pattern there. And so for so many people, it's why you can know exactly what you want to say in response to somebody, but you just can't quite bring yourself to do it. Yeah. That's that freezing action. You know, your boss is a bit of a dick to you. And you don't say, don't speak to me like that. Mm. I don't think it's appropriate to speak to me like that in the office. Or ever, right? You just stand there and don't say anything because you've been conditioned not to. Yeah. You know, and then that compounds in the, in the office and in the environment and how you behave. And it then just feeds into everything. And that's how you then end up with these stress patterns that you don't deal with, which leads to burnout. Man, absolutely. And I think so so many of the folks listening are going to relate to that. So for my for my listeners who are are less familiar with these nervous system pieces. So you talked about sort of that that freeze response. How would someone know in that moment that what they've heard about this, they have an idea about it and kind of think, okay, you know, could this be happening to me? How would they know they were in that freeze response? They might actually just use words literally like, I felt frozen to the spot. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Like I've had clients say that before, you know, this happened and then I just felt frozen. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you were. And the other, so there's various things that we can notice when we're in the freeze. A lot of the time we can feel a little bit checked out. Mm-hmm. We're a little bit foggy um so we're kind of there but it's like everything around us has gone a little bit hazy you mm-hmm. so it's almost like it's like it's too much for me to be here right now so I'm just gonna a little bit check out um but in terms of 
how it shows up in that response, you can think about it in terms of how you would have a conversation with someone that you feel deeply comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So the person that maybe would bring you a drink and you'd be like, I can't, st- I've got a friend. And if you buy a Prosecco, she's like, she doesn't like Prosecco. She yeah. it has to be Carver. It has to be dry Carver. <laughs> what you say? She's like, I'm not going to drink this, right? Yeah. You might have that friend that you have that kind of relationship with where you can just say, you know, I don't want that. I don't like that. And then you can think, and we, we're all going to have those people where they would say something to you and you wouldn't say what you would want to say back. Mm. It would be too much. Like you, it just wouldn't be worth it. Like just whatever, however you perceive they would respond, it just wouldn't be worth it. And so that's a little bit of, of noticing, okay, there's a little bit of a, a freeze response with this person. And other times you will just notice you almost just become paralyzed the spark and so the person I like, had fi- like physically you actually find yourself yeah. immobile yeah. yeah yeah but particularly you can't say what you would want to say so yeah. for me I grew up with quite a strict dad mm-hmm. and I learned not that I didn't try a few times because I did but I learned eventually not to answer that and not to mm. challenge and not to question and even now if I think about it if I think about having certain conversations with him it would send me into a freeze response. I would feel that in my system. It's almost like you feel the chest tighten and you'd be like, oh no, I couldn't say that. Yeah. I literally couldn't say that. And that's how people would start to recognize it. You know, if someone comes to you and you're meant to finish work at half past five and it's half past five, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, can you just do this one thing for me? And what you would like to say is no, because I'm about to go to yoga or whatever it is. Yeah. But you you physically can't bring yourself to say it. And you're like, yeah sure that's your nervous system doing something there Mm. and then you turn around 10 minutes later and wonder what the hell happened I had planned yeah you know if they asked me for this I was going to say no but in that moment I wasn't able to yeah and sometimes it's not necessarily a freeze response you know someone comes and asks for something urgent you might make it like a decision in the moment of like I'm going to skip the yoga class and do this work Mm-hmm. The difference is it's when you want to. Mm. And it, it it's almost like you abandon yourself in that moment so that you don't disappoint somebody. Yeah. So you don't have to deal with the pain of disappointing someone. You disappoint yourself, but you don't necessarily realise that in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Man, so interesting. So tell us a little bit, Louise, I think, I think this is an excellent segue. So tell us a little bit about the work that you do with your clients when they show up on a Zoom call with you. These are the types of things that they're struggling yeah. with. What does that look like? So if it's okay, I'm going to go back a step first. Please. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's like, how did I end up doing this work with the client? Mm-hmm. Okay. So- yes. To begin with, I started off very much, as I said, I was going to helping people with their careers. And the first group program I ever did was called Have a Job You Love. And it was a six week program to give people all of the tools that they needed to thrive in the workplace. So we looked at things like boundaries. We looked at confidence and self-belief. We looked at how to have a difficult conversation. We looked at like skills, strengths and values. And people kept bringing I'm really unconfident in the workplace because 
when I grew up, my dad said I'd never amount to anything. Or this mm. happened when I grew up. Like, and it was always this past stuff that was impacting what was going on for them in the here and now. Yeah. And then all of my, the work that I did on myself, the more I realised that I had all of this unresolved childhood stuff as well that mm-hmm. had created the perfectionism, the people-pleasing, the inability mm. to switch. And so I recognize through a combination of my own work and work with clients, because it's always a dual journey, that um that there was a, there was often a deeper level that needed to be looked at. Mm-hmm. Because you know, we can't it, it's very easy to say to someone, well, just say no or just have better boundaries. But if those freeze patterns are in place, they can't. And so I got to a point a couple of years ago where I felt like I'd done all of the understanding work. Mm-hmm. I'd made sense of lots of things. And I was really frustrated because the patterns were still there. We're still responding. I, I might not have been responding in quite the same way because I was managing my thoughts, but the visceral body reaction was still there. And that is when I started to work with a nervous system coach. Okay. To- me with some of these like deeper deeper patterns of of behavior of like what what did my body learn and my mind learn when I was teeny tiny and then mm. growing through my formative years that has basically created the blueprint for how I react and respond to everything now and in doing that work with those patterns but then creating in myself the ability to go in and resolve those patterns so those times where I didn't say I didn't want to do something, all of that stuck stuff within my body, learning how to do that. Yeah. So that's like the trauma work, the trauma renegotiation, but also to get myself into a place where I could start to notice, like you said before, how do we notice when we're in freeze? How mm-hmm. do we notice when we're anxious? And what do we do? How do we take care of ourselves in all of those different places? Bringing in that work for me personally was such a game changer. It felt so like the missing piece of the puzzle. I like, I've had all of this cognitive understanding now. Mm-hmm. But this is, and it's made a difference and it's been great. Like, we're not, I'm not, not here to bash mindset. Yeah, yeah. It's like a real extra piece of the puzzle. So I retrained or did okay. additional training so that I could support people in that way as well. And so mm-hmm. I think that's a really important piece of it because I still help people with their careers or their businesses and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just doing it at a much, much deeper level, which for me is just in integrity with my understanding of how this work works and my personal experience of it. And so when people, to answer your question, and if I've now gone off on too much of a tangent and you need to ask it again, feel free, but to answer the question of like, how do I then help clients when they come Mm-hmm. to obsession with this stuff it's a combination so it would still be the traditional um mindset approach of exploring how that shows up for them how they experience it do they remember like when it first happened and exploring some ways of of how they might manage it so for example someone turns up and they're like I can't switch off I can't say no to people. I'm just doing this stuff all of the time. And I'm absolutely exhausted. Like, can you help me? What do I do? Yeah. You know, so it would be, there would be a real process involved. So you would just start off. I would start off by understanding how they experience it. But how do they experience it here and here? 
Mm. So when someone comes to their desk and says, it's half five, can you do this work for me? What do they notice? Because I don't think we very often stop to notice and it might be, oh, so there's a bit of a panic. Like my stomach gets a bit butterflies. My chest gets really tight. My face gets hot. And so the work that I would do is actually to help them stay with those sensations and to mm. get where they can stay with that. Because the majority of the time we react and respond so that we don't have to deal with the intensity of what's going on in our bodies. So we can make that go away. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the work that I do is to help people have the capacity to be with that stuff, not just so they can sit there feeling uncomfortable, but so they can then get to that place where they can teach their body that they can be with that discomfort. We can then move through and look at what's sitting underneath that. So there might be a memory from the past and there might not be, but it's like there's mm-hmm. something the body wants to do. There's something the body wants to complete that's unresolved, which is why mm. this is coming up. Um, and so there's that on the, the body side of things. A lot of people take a really long time, though, to get to a place where they're, they're willing and able to go near their bodies. Yeah. Because we're so most of us are so disconnected from our bodies because that intensity is too much that we've disconnected. And so it would otherwise just be really gentle things, Um, you know, exploring exploring ways that maybe they can manage it a little bit, a bit better for themselves, whilst at the same time building up the capacity within their system to be with the sensations in their bodies. And this all sounds a bit gobbledygook, I can hear it, so practically, that is, how do we look after your biology, the cellular mm-hmm. health in your body, so that it has got more energy, because this is all an energy thing, right? Yeah. So you have the energy that you need to respond to the thing in front of you. And it's when we haven't got the energy that we feel overwhelmed and we go into mm. that. Thing. Okay. So there's lots of things that can be done around cellular health. So that might be like the supplements that we take, how we eat, how we take care of ourselves. Nervous system health, again, there's lots we can do. How do we start to create this relationship with our bodies mm-hmm. where we notice where it's at, but also where we can be in our bodies a little bit more often? And that will yeah. either make sense to the listeners or it won't. Yeah, and that that is something I'd love I'd love to help people understand a little bit more. Yeah. So a very simple exercise that people can do. Yeah. Is to just look at the back of one of their hands mm-hmm. and just tap their hand. And just tap their hand until they get a sense of it's them tapping their hand. Right. So you look at your hand until you can feel I am tapping my hand and you can just say this is my hand. It is part of my body. Now, Mm -hmm. for some of us, we're really connected into our body. So as soon as we tap, we can feel that connection straight away. And for other people, they can't. Mm. And and the reason why that's such a good test, because if you say to someone, like, can you feel your feet? They're like, of course I can feel my feet. I'm like, no, but can you actually feel your feet? Are you just responding? Yes, I can, because you think that's the right answer. Right. You know, like if you put a hand on your leg, can you feel the hand on your leg? Or do you have to really squeeze very hard until you can feel that connection between your hand and the leg? Yeah. Um, 
And the reason why just doing those exercises are interesting to see is because going back to what I said before about when we are overwhelmed, so when the thing in front of us is too much for us to deal with at a point in time, which just mm-hmm. is that we have sufficient energy or resources to right. deal with the threat or the perceived threat. So we've all got this stuff going on, right? We didn't have to be in a catastrophic car accident or be subjected to some kind of horrendous abuse to have these patterns, right? We've all got this stuff going on. One of the ways that our body comes in to protect us is to disconnect a little bit. If we get really technical, we kind of brace and we cough at the thoracic inlet here. Mm. We shut down from here onwards. And here is where also the vagus nerve wraps around. And the vagus nerve, again, is very much responsible or part of um, our nervous system health. I think people are generally hearing more about the vagus nerve and polyvagal. I think so. Yeah, yeah. But it's, a, but it's a nerve essentially that connects from our brainstem down through into our gut, which mm-hmm. is again where you hear lots of like connection between brain health and gut health. Um, so we're shut off here. We're cut off here. That's how it works. Um, and so most of us are actually disconnected from our bodies. Mm-hmm. Our body has learned to like brace and hold and disconnect from there. Yeah. Um. Another great way to know whether you're connected or not connected to your body is just that question of, as you're talking through something, just check in, what do you notice in your body? And again, the majority, and even the majority of my clients will say, oh, I don't notice anything, my body's fine. And yeah. it's like, okay. But that's actually just a sign that you aren't connected to your body. Because our body is constantly giving us cues and signs and signals like there's low if I think about Mm -hmm. it with my body right now my feet are tingling my chest feels a little bit tight Mm -hmm. my stomach like but for a lot of but but for a long period of time I wouldn't have noticed anything either Mm. um and that's and that's really what people are looking for and and the reason why it's so important is because we get so much knowledge from our bodies. I said when I was talking about my burnout before, you know, if we listen to our body, if you listen to your body when it whispers, you don't have to hear it scream. Mm-hmm. Right. Most of us can't hear the whispers or the screams. Yeah. And so it's so that's another thing that I then do with clients is just bring in very gentle 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 simple easy to do practices and I know you know a lot of these definitely because you've done this work with me that allow us to get back into our bodies that start to recreate this relationship where we are connected and we can start to tune back into what's really going on Mm -hmm. which is also very helpful for your clients as they are considering or the people listening what Mm -hmm. is it that I think from this next part of my life because the brain is going to be like, no, 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 don't make any changes. That's not safe. You mm-hmm. just need to keep doing what you're doing. Work isn't meant to be enjoyed. All of that stuff that comes from a Oh, here. yes. Oh, yes. You've invested what, too much time. Exactly. Yeah. It's a waste. It's a waste of your qualification. Everything is a waste. Yeah. Whereas once we recreate that connection down here, we get access again to our intuition. We get access to our innate wisdom, that knowing that stuff inside of us that's like, oh, no, this is what yeah. I'm supposed to do. 
And that, that can sound really airy-fairy, but when you experience it, there is nothing airy-fairy about it at all. It's just this like, oh, innate wisdom is the best Yeah, way. yeah. You know, and, and I have thought about this because, and I've talked about on the podcast, you know, wanting to lose 40 pounds, right? And I have thought about the extent to which we, if we're, if we're trying to diet or if we're trying to, you know, participate, I, I ran for a while, if we're running in a race, you know, we're going to push through, we're going to ignore those bodily signals. I'm going to ignore my hunger. I'm going to mm-hmm. tell my body it gets these, this, this portion, this food, you know, I don't care what it wants. I don't care if it wants more, we're just going to squelch that. And so, you know, through your work and through my own weight loss, really realizing even with something like that, we have decided any signals our body gives us are not to be trusted and are probably leading us astray and really need to be, you know, silenced. Um, And so I think that's interesting because you talked about, you you used the word bracing before. Um, And I think I've mentioned to you, I've become very aware of the extent to which you know, I I will brace against something that's harsh and really hold my breath, Mm -hmm. you know, brace and, and stop moving and shrink. You know, I stop taking up space. I bring myself in and, and it's been interesting to, to begin to observe that in different situations and realize, oh, you know, my, I'm having thoughts up here, of course, but I'm also having this physiological reaction, um, and because of your work, I've begun to think about Mary Oliver's language of the soft animal of your body. You know, what what can I then do in those moments to care for the soft animal of my body? And that's a very different, and you know, the listeners may wonder what on earth I'm talking about. That's fine. Because it 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 is it is new to me, certainly, but there is some value to that that I'm seeing. Um and you mentioned that many of your clients have done other personal development work mm-hmm. before. Something for me is that I would not have been even interested in any of this body stuff if not for the mindset work. You know, it was it was my mm-hmm. it was my door in. Yeah. 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 And really realizing, I think somebody telling me, you know, your emotions are a felt a felt sense, a feeling in your in your body. It was like what? <laughs> I don't think they are actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, yeah. the big one for me was, so I was in various programs and we were in some of the programs together and there mm-hmm. would be, the language used would be like, how you deal with this is you you experience the emotion and you feel it all the way through. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, people keep talking about feeling these emotions in their bodies. I'm like, I'm like, I'm clever enough to understand what they're saying, but I've got no idea what they're on about. Like, I've mm. literally no idea what they are about. And I remember the first time that I got myself to a place where I could feel shame in my body mm-hmm. and then move and be with that shame as it worked its way through. Because mm. when we can when we can stay with the intensity of an emotion, the emotion we sometimes think it's gonna overwhelm us and it's gonna floor us. It doesn't. We move through it and we're over it. We've released it. We've, we've done it. We've done the work. Yeah. I remember the first time because shame was a hard one to, to be yeah, with. Yeah. I remember. And then I remember waking up the next day feeling incredibly different, but in such a good way. Um, mm. 
oh, this is what people were on about. But I had got no access to that because I had got no access to my body. Yeah. And you're right, the, the two are so linked. And yes, I think there's got to be, there's got to be a journey. When I mm-hmm. left law, the partner that, sorry, the director in the team had read the chimp paradox. I'm guessing this is a, like a, maybe it's just a UK book. Anyway, there's a book called The Chimp Paradox. And it kind of just talks about, it, it's a, just another version of one of the inner critic books. Oh, okay. Right, so there's an inner critic in it. It's like the chimp, the monkey mind. <laughs> okay. And she used to bang on about this book, which because I didn't like it, I've never read it. <laughs> I hear you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she used to come into the office and she used to look at us all and she'd be like, you all need to do, you all need boundaries. You will need to do more with boundaries. I remember like, what is she on about with boundaries? So from being that person that didn't know what boundaries were, mm. for someone to be like, your nervous system's dysregulated and you've got unresolved trauma. I had a coach that kept recommending trauma books to me. And I was like, this must be for my clients. Like maybe it's to help my clients. And then the trauma coach that I ended up working with I was in a mastermind with her and mm-hmm. she did a great long list of how she helped people. It was one of the exercises we have to do. I read through it and was like, that would be great for my husband. <laughs> yeah. And then had a conversation with her and it was only because I'd had this huge blow up with my parents mm-hmm. and realized all the work that I'd done hadn't really done jack because I was still having the intense dreams of the really angry mm. I'm screaming at them in my dreams dreams and I was like I I need something else so that this isn't quite so painful yeah. and it was only really then that I was like I think I might need some more support and then a bit later that was like oh, I've got so much unresolved trauma but I would would not have been ready I would just yeah yeah well, and, and you made the point earlier too, I, I think people bow up at the idea of trauma, you know, yeah. that, that that's not me. That's something that happened to somebody else who, who had a really, really bad childhood or who had a, an incident, you know, that we won't speak about that occurred or some of those kinds of things, but, but to, to frame it as chronic stress, I mean, my gosh, who among us has not experienced from a nervous system perspective, there is actually there is a doctor that does a lot of this work, and she mm-hmm. she just calls it all trauma. Like she's just not bothered. She just calls it yeah. all trauma. Yeah. But from a nervous system perspective, overwhelm and burnout and trauma mm-hmm. are all exactly the same thing. It's literally just a different word for the same thing. That is that's so important, I think, for people to hear. Yeah. Overwhelm, yeah. burnout, trauma from your nervous system's perspective. Yeah. All the same thing. All the same thing. Because when we are in burnout, it's because we have had too much too fast, too soon, or more likely mm-hmm. too little for too long. Mm. Our bodies or a combination of the two. And that's what makes it traumatic for our bodies. And it doesn't matter that somebody else has ostensibly had it worse. It's how your yeah. body experiences the thing in front of you. And where something happens, where a stress happens in your body and there are not enough resources or energy in your body to deal with that thing, it mm. overwhelms your system and sends the system down 
into a freeze response or a form response. And that is trauma. Yeah. We do need another word for it, though. I think. Like, so my clients have decided that they're going to call it in my group. They call it the shitty things that happen to us. Yeah. But it's like, but, but there does need to be another word for mm-hmm. it because trauma really is associated with sexual assault, war, catastrophic exactly. accidents. Whereas really it's just, it's kind of just life. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is the shitty things that happen to us. I think yeah. that, yeah, that that's a... I think that's an accessible way of putting it that that doesn't feel so yeah off-putting in a way to people so interesting because we don't want to feel like there's something wrong with us and I'm not and I don't even think people I don't think there is something wrong with us with the trauma stuff but there is that real mm-hmm. connotation of like oh well if I've got trauma then I'm really broken right like, no your body's just adapted to some stuff that happened. Yeah. And now we want to look at some of those adaptations so we can get you back to full health. Yeah. This is this With is part of the human experience for yeah. Yeah. most of us. You know. So interesting, Louise. Well, let me let me ask you. So, and I'm I'm cognizant of time and know you have an, an appointment um as well. So what if you could say a few words about kind of coming back around to you and to your story, what has your journey been like as you've done this work with your clients, as you've done this work for yourself, what's the journey been like to create the life you have now? It's been really mixed is the Mm -hmm. honest answer. So Mm -hmm. just so the listeners have got a bit of an idea. We lived in London when I was Mm -hmm. a lawyer and we sold up, we moved to the countryside so we now live in a crazy house, which I had to do a lot of work to believe that I deserve to live here. We live in a huge five-bedroom house. There's just two of us and our little dog. Yeah. Um, in in this lovely village in the Cotswolds, which is very quintessentially British. It's like just Google the Cotswolds if you don't know it. <laughs> um, and my days are flexible. I don't work Fridays. I earn the same, actually I earn more than I did when I was a lawyer. Mm. Um, I probably do maximum four or five hours work a day on a Monday to a Thursday. Okay. And there's probably little bits. I'm not particularly good at putting my phone down when I go to bed. So there'll be bits of social media in the evening, but like (laughs) I have a very different life. I sleep eight hours every night. I nap Mm. every day. Mm -hmm. Um, So and it's night and day. And I've gone from being very controlling, very overbearing, very perfectionistic to less of all of those things. But, you know, mm. I'm still work in progress. Yeah. My marriage has transformed. Mm-hmm. I, but what I will say about all of it is that every iteration of work that I do, there are more challenges. Mm. feel very difficult for a while if I work through them and then they feel much easier. Yeah. Um, and so the honest truth of how it felt is some days it's amazing and it's miraculous and I love it and I'm so grateful for everything that I've done and mm-hmm. other days it feels really hard yeah you know it is it is draining and exhausting sometimes to do this work but mm-hmm. is it more draining and exhausting than having being a tax lawyer no 
And I am now doing something that feels like me rather than the me that I thought I needed to be to fit in a box to keep my parents happy or to yeah. keep society happy or to matter, to have some kind of value. Mm-hmm. But I had to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, and it's just not true. Um, well, and two, and two, now you know how to take care of yourself when you yeah. have spent all you have on your clients. So what has, what has been easier than you expected? Um, putting myself out there. Really? Yes. It was very, very, very hard when I first started. The day that mm-hmm. I changed my LinkedIn profile from solicitor to coach, I felt so sick. I can't even begin to tell you. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was so closed off, but that, mm-hmm. that really embracing, I found Brené Brown early on. Yeah. And that embracing vulnerability has been easier and mm. kind of doing myself. I mean, it's still hard, especially if I put stuff out there about my family and then one of my sisters decides to send me a long voice note, as they sometimes do, about why I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that's been that's been easier, I would say. And also what it's easy now. It was very hard to walk away from law at the time because of all mm. the status being attached. But I look back now, I wouldn't go back. You could yeah. pay me millions. You could offer me millions and millions of pounds and I would not go back to that life. Yeah. It's just not worth it. Like the stress isn't worth it. Mm-hmm. The anxiety isn't worth it. The crap sleep isn't worth it. Mm. Yeah. So conversely then, so what's been harder than you expected? I started doing this work and thought that it would be a short amount of work that I had to do and then I was going to feel really good all the time and everything was going to be great yeah and it's been a little bit of a wake-up call and a hard realization that that's not actually how it goes yeah and because the human experience isn't perfect like that that Mm. in me still wanting to get to this place of like well now I've worked through all of these things and I just get to be happy every day yeah so I think that's been harder that realization of oh no like there's always going to be challenges in life. So like my husband's dad died a couple of mm. months ago. Like that's been hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that recognition of actually the work is to have the resilience in me so that I can deal with the hard, not that I don't have the hard. Oh, and yeah. That's been hard because if I was going to categorize my main pattern, it was control. So if there was a control in place that helped me manage my life, I had it in place and realizing that you can't control everything you just have to learn to be able to kind of surf the waves as they come in has been the hardest thing and I've resisted Mm. that I've resisted that a lot of like no because if I could just like if we can just do it in this way yeah um yes and I go through waves with that one yeah yeah no I think I think for sure we all do man right um so if you don't mind sharing, what would you, what would you say about where you are today? What is your work today? I really think at the moment that my work today mm-hmm. is to appreciate mm. where I've got to. It's, mm-hmm. it's very, very easy to constantly strive for the next thing. Mm-hmm. A goal and then beat yourself up when you don't quite reach it. Rather than having that perspective in place of, Four years ago. So I officially left PwC on the 15th of April, 2019. Four years ago, I was signed off work with stress. Mm. Like 
it was messy. It was messy. And just that appreciation for everything that I've worked through and everything yeah. that I've done. I, I really think that is my work now because I can still be quite critical mm. and like, demanding of myself. And it's not like I want to be around in this kind of toxic positivity thing of like, oh, everything's great all the time. But it, I, I recognised recently that it's I've got into a little bit of a negative mindset. Like it's been hard at home since Nat's mm. dad Things sure. have been challenging. And it's like, how do I just refocus? And that is the mindset work then. How do I refocus to appreciate where I'm at? So I think think that is my next piece of like, how do I actually just stop and bask in what I've created and be like, this is great. Just as yeah. it is. Just as it is. Yeah. And what are what are the things that you go to or the practices or what what do you do to support you on your journey? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> there's so many. Yeah. I recently did a podcast on my episode on my podcast talking about the perfect morning routine. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of things that I do. But for me, it's it's how do I come back to my body every single day? Mm. When I recognize that I'm feeling a little bit disconnected, which is more that free state, or when I recognize yeah. I'm feeling a little bit stressed or anxious, how do I come back into my body? And so for me, there are practices um, of containment, which is doing something to bring a hand. So if you just put a hand on your chest and a hand on your stomach, anyone listening, just notice how that feels. It can bring us back into our bodies. Or feeling your feet on the floor and wiggling your toes. Mm-hmm. Get you out of your head as well if you're like, my brain's going like mad. So I, lots of that kind of thing. Um, I do orienting, mm-hmm. taking a new environment. So lots of like, how do I get back into my body practices? I don't care what the weather is doing. I will go out in nature every day. Mm, yeah that's like really number one self-care practice I mean it's nicer when the rain isn't coming horizontally into my face but that <laughs> yes. is which yeah. it did earlier oh. but that's my that is my number one go-to and then also how am I nourishing myself because mm-hmm. I've done all the fad diets I've done the like eat this don't eat this thing and it's like no how do I pay attention to what do I need and nourish myself each day um, so I think that is my like come back to am I fueling myself properly am I nourishing myself and nourishment is more than just food am I being kind to myself mm. and then also am I doing the work so that I can be in my body and am I tracking myself as in just like paying attention and checking in yeah. so that I'm actually aware when I am and I'm not in my body and then do the work to bring myself back and they are really my go-tos, but outside in the nature is the number one. I hear you. I hear you. For me, walking definitely yeah. outside, if I can make that work at all possible, walking most days is just between that and sleep. You know, if I can do those things, those those are sort of my, what I call my minimum baselines. Yeah. Anything else, okay, can fall away, but I've got to get enough sleep and get some time outside and walk yeah yeah all right louise so what um what else what haven't we talked about or what else would you think the listeners might benefit from knowing i think what i want to say as you are in your primes i was going to say approaching midlife but as you're in your primes Mm -hmm. and you are thinking about what is it that i want from the rest of my life 
like is sometimes that question is like is this it like I feel like there yeah. should be more for me and there's often then that question of or that thought of but it's too late now mm. like I've spent too much time I've done too much and it's never ever ever too late it's never too late to to make a difference and the other thing as well is sometimes the difference doesn't outwardly look that dramatic the changes can just be how do you feel about yourself how do you experience your life even like a really common one our relationship with food and what we're going to eat you know how do you get to a place where that's not consuming or every waking hour because I've been Mm -hmm. there um it's all possible and it's all available I did so when I back in when I was a career coach I had a a masterclass that was like plan your escape for the nine to five and mm-hmm. one of the things in there was just really looking for examples of possibility so rather than because mm-hmm. our brain will want to go to the negative and rather than going to the negative go and find some people that have done the thing that you feel like you want to do but don't think that you can yeah right and go and just give yourself as much evidence as possible that the thing that you want to do you can do who are people mm your age who have made these changes and it's worked well don't look for the people that have done it and it hasn't worked well right like you want to feed your brain with these are things that I can do and this is possible and don't allow yourself to label yourself with things that limit you so for me I labeled mm-hmm. myself years with I'm just an anxious person I'm just a bad mm-hmm. sleeper you are not just an anxious person you are not just a bad sleeper you are not just a perfectionist you are not just an overthinker they are all just behavioural traits that you have developed to take care of yourself, to protect yourself at a point in time. And they are all things that don't need to follow you for the rest of your days. And I think that's yes. so important. Yeah. Because if we label ourselves, even with stuff like I'm ADHD or I'm OCD or anything else, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. label ourselves, we restrict ourselves from healing and being the best that we can be. So that would be that would be the things I think I would like yeah. to know. Like, don't yeah. limit yourself. Whatever your age is or anything else, if there is a thing inside you that's like, I am meant for more than this, life is not meant to feel like this, follow that pull. Yeah. Because it's there for a reason. And look how your body is giving you signals. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think all of that is so important, Louise. Thank you. All right, Louise. So if my listeners would like to follow you, hear more from you, reach out to you, how, how can they learn about you? So I think the best thing is at the moment is probably to follow my podcast, go and listen to my podcast, which is called the Embodied Life Coaching Podcast. Um, social media, I'm on all the usual ones. Not I, I tried a bit with TikTok, it didn't really work. Um, but so... <laughs> LinkedIn, I think I'm just Louise Lewis, coach maybe. Um, Instagram, I'm Louise Lewis underscore coach. And I'm just Louise Lewis on Facebook. Um, and I know you'll put it in the show notes anyway. But I will, I will. Go and, and, what, have and what what are you what are your offers for folks right now? Um, so I work with people one-to-one. So we can mm-hmm. do one-to-one coaching, which is is really over to them in terms of what they need um I don't I'm not prescriptive with how I work with people so we can work together weekly fortnightly monthly um and you'll have to you'll have to tell my American listeners what fortnightly means oh every other (laughs) every other week twice a month okay there we go 
<laughs> um, is that not something that you have? No, I, I think of Shakespeare when you say Fortnite. Okay. And then I and then I Google it to remind myself what it means. Um, so there we go. Now we know. Um, and and so and and that would just be having a call with me, and we can talk about what yeah. works for them. I have got three low price classes mm-hmm. that people can do to really get into this work and get more of this work. Um, yeah, and so- these these listeners are what I mentioned to you in the introduction about Louise. These are classes I've taken from her and yeah. really appreciated yeah so there's those classes and they're a really great intro of like I think I'd like to know more of this stuff but like how do I dip my toe in without it being a huge investment mm-hmm. the the lowest price one is 25 pounds which is probably about 30 dollars at the moment yeah exchange rates can go up or down um and then the final thing that I have is a group program that enrolls once a year called address and unlock and that is really the kind of deep dive um let's look at the stuff that's gone on in the past mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like more the childhood stuff um and then how do we resolve some of that so that then we can move forward and have the future that we want without those patterns bogging us down and that will start again probably in june okay awesome louise thank you so much this has been amazing i appreciate it's been a real it pleasure. thank you so much for having me on i've really enjoyed it thank you it's been amazing Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Louise Lewis. And I just want to thank Louise so much for being my first podcast guest. And it was so much fun. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. uh, And I hope it brought a lot of value to you. I'm sure it did. And Louise has made her How to Take Care of Yourself class free for a few days. And she's offered listeners of this podcast the promotion code to be able to access that class for free. And so that promotion code is address, A-D-D-R-E-S-S, 23. I'll be providing the link in the podcast description as well as in the YouTube description. So I hope you do check that out. It's a great class. I've enjoyed it very much. It's been great being with you this week. I hope you have enjoyed this first interview. I look forward to chatting with you next week. Bye.